whether it's our community that initiates something and executes something, or whether we give to something like um, Starlight Ministries. For those of you that don't know, they minister to the homeless here in Cambridge. But we want to make sure that during this holiday season, during the Christmas season, that we are actively involved um, for caring for the needs of the poor and the needy. Because uh, especially with the winter months here, so not just Christmas, but January, February, it's a very, very intense time for those that are poor and destitute. So this is what I'm asking. If you have it on your heart to be involved with outreach, compassion, evangelism, we're going to have a very quick meeting just to identify who those people are um, and also to come up with our plan of action of whether we simply, for this time around, take an offering and sow it into Starlight and maybe send some people or whether we want to go ahead as a community, do hot cocoa, boots, mittens. Basically, we want to identify the people that really have a heart to do that. So if that's on your heart to be involved with developing outreach here, just for five minutes after service in the kitchen, we're just going to identify those people, um, get email contacts, and set up an actual meeting. So five minutes after service. Um, we are going to take tithes and offerings. Um, and just a quick, I mean, this is not really a tithes and offerings. Um, hi, Jen. How are you? Um, I would say this, and I'm exhorting us in every area of our life, that we give our first fruits to the Lord. Oftentimes, it's very easy with our time, with our finance, um, with every area of our life, that we end up giving the leftover, or the excess, or um, after we've done as we wish, or what we feel is priority, then to give the Lord what's left over after that. But I would just encourage us as a body of people that in every area of our life, that we seek to give the Lord the first fruits and the precedence and before we've done everything else. And I know that that can be a very painful thing. I have a house that I have. I want to do things to. I want to <laughs> add things to, take away from. And it would be very easy to sometimes go ahead and give the Lord what's left over after I've had my way with my finances. Um, but I think that for all of us, the challenge is, is that to continually honor the Lord first and allow him to bring the increase. And I can say for myself, then I have so much more joy when the desires of my heart do come to pass because I don't feel like I've done them in a way that I've violated the principles of the kingdom or honoring the Lord first. There's greater joy in that in knowing that I've honored God first and then he is added and brought the increase. So I would just encourage us to, in every year of our life, give the Lord the first fruits. But Father, we come before you tonight and God, just even as an act of our will and even as an act of obedience, God, we just say, Lord, not just with finance, but God, with all that we are, God, we want to give you the first fruits. God, we want to honor you before all else, Father. And God, we just even say in the area of finance, God, that it's a, it's a testimony and a declaration that we trust you. Lord, that you can take care of us even far better than we can care for ourselves. Lord, that you can provide for us, Lord, even beyond the toil of our own hands and even the wisdom of our own mind, but Lord, that you can bring increase and surplus beyond what our hands could produce. So God, we just say, Lord, that this is an act of worship to you, Lord, an act that we trust you and that we honor you and we love you with our whole being. It's wherever we can start here. Let me turn on the heat a little. Is anybody cooking in here? Yes. I got in here earlier today and I, I had a chill, so I jacked it. Hi. 
Now I need to bring it down low. smush the stand. When I have my computer, it causes a little bit of technical difficulty, so you'll just have to bear with me. There goes iChat. Do anyone want to chat with someone? No. <laughs> okay, let me move this so I can use my Bible. All right. So we're done with our series. As for those of you that um, haven't been here, I just mentioned that we kind of were working through uh, what identified us as a people. Um, today, actually, I was talking to my husband, and probably this week, and he, his, it was kind of my week to preach, and he said, what's on your heart to preach about? And I told him, I said, I really have kind of two themes that have been burning on my heart. I said, I really have been burning in my own personal life with a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit. And even in a degree, like a greater understanding of my dependency upon the Holy Spirit, my need for the Holy Spirit, but also being hugely convicted where I operate outside of the Holy Spirit and in ways in my own strength and my own flesh. So there's kind of been this um, theme that I've been studying and been kind of had a heightened sense of awareness, but simultaneously... For us as a group of people, a congregation, and I would even say in a broader sense, a generation of people, I've also been stirred and impassioned over the ability to discern times and seasons. And I feel very strongly, even as far as us as a church community, giving time to looking at that biblically, but like prophetically, all, all that that entails. But my husband in all his wisdom, he looked at me and he said, well, you kind of need the Holy Spirit to discern times and seasons. He's like, so why don't you just start there? And I, I said, that's so true. That is so true. But it's funny because when he said it, immediately I thought of Old Testament and New Testament scenarios where it really was the issue of the Holy Spirit that was the defining factor. And so what we're going to do tonight is, and like I said, we're going to look biblically, we're going to look at theology, we're going to look at some of the Hebrew and the Greek, but I really want to start out by saying this, what I'm sharing with you, is more born out of me having an angst in my heart of saying, I do not want to live apart from the Holy Spirit. And it is so easy to do. And I can honestly say that most of you guys know I was single until I, I don't even know how old I was when I got married. Was I 30? <laughs> I look at you, I'm like, was I 30? This is Daryl's parents, for any of you, uh, yeah, that haven't been able, is Daryl out here? No. That haven't been able to meet them, Daryl and Martha. But, um, so, I lived a lot of my adult life single. And so, for me, I can honestly say, as I've been going back to really re-looking at the place of communing with the Holy Spirit, abiding in the Holy Spirit, and even in Scripture, all of the emphasis upon walking in the Spirit, I came to a whole new awareness that, you know, in my single years, I definitely went through a very intense period of studying Andrew Murray abiding in Christ, and um, Brother Lawrence, when he wrote the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, which those are both works that I would highly recommend that everybody read. They're super short, but super impact. Um, but I realized, I was like, you know, it's kind of been a while before I, that I've been in this place of almost feeling the, the pull upon my heart of the awareness of the Holy Spirit and even the conviction of over where I am living apart from the Holy Spirit. And I, I can say honest confession, there is something about in singleness 
of being able to kind of um, learn to walk and live in a place of surrender to the Holy Spirit. And then there's a whole other dynamic when you're in the, the, a marriage relationship and the challenge and where you actually see your flesh a whole heck of a lot more as far as responding to someone else's wishes, desires, opinions, preferences, priorities. <laughs> I mean, it's just like a whole other level where you kind of go, oh, I have a great deal of flesh. And I guess I <laughs> need to seriously work on walking in greater dependency of the Holy Spirit. Um, but for those of you that actually have heard, um, I think it was week two, I had referenced in Isaiah chapter 37 and chapter 38 that basically at that time, the prophet Jeremiah, he was prophesying to the people that there would be a great deliverance, that the Lord would save them, deliver them from all of their enemies, that they would not be brought into captivity. But then in Isaiah chapter 39, he actually prophesied that they would come into captivity and that it would be the Lord's judgment. So you see a prophetic voice. And you see how on one, at one moment, which is actually, if you look at the timeline, it's actually years, but he's speaking one thing. And then the word of the Lord changes in chapter 39. It's a completely different message. But the crazy thing is you have the prophet Jeremiah who comes along. And basically he comes, for any of you that have read Jeremiah, he basically was lamenting and mourning over his people, saying that there's judgment, there's captivity. And this is the crazy thing. The people of Jeremiah's day, instead of hearing the word of the Lord, they actually looked at the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 37 and 38. And they basically used the word of the Lord. They used the written scripture of Isaiah chapter 7, 37 and 38 and basically said, oh, no, 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 no. We are not going into captivity. We are not going into judgment. This is what it says, Isaiah chapter 37, 38. Obviously, there was no chapters at that point. But they referenced the word of the Lord. And so what you see is the principle that you can actually take biblical principles, the word of the Lord, and misappropriate it in times and seasons. You can misappropriate it if you're not rightly discerning and appropriating that word to where you are today. And how many of you guys would know, like, that's kind of like if the Lord's in a season drawing you into a wilderness, and that is the hand of God, that is his loving kindness to you, that is the season that he's called you into. It's not judgment, it's not sin, it's not the devil, it's not... That's where oftentimes, instead of rightly discerning times and seasons, but you actually see in Jeremiah's time that basically the people clung to a biblical promise. They clung, clung to the, the word of the Lord, but they misappropriated it to their circumstance and their time and their season. And then actually, um, I'm actually going to read to you. Let me just pull it up really quick. In Isaiah, this is, and actually I wanted to reference, in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 11. He actually references the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we kind of think that the Holy Spirit was New Testament, that there was no Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But really what I want you to see by even just bringing up Isaiah, I don't want to get into discerning times and seasons, but what I want you to understand is that the spirit of prophecy, it was the spirit of God. And so all throughout scripture, often even times where it references the spirit or the indwelling Christ, Oftentimes, it's all referencing back to the Holy Spirit. And even Isaiah, his unction to prophesy, his ability to prophesy, Jeremiah's ability to prophesy, it is the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of prophecy. And it's in Isaiah chapter 63, I'm just going to read it to you instead of turning there. 
It says, uh, verse 11, Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people, saying, Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? And where is he who put his Holy Spirit in them? And so this is actually Isaiah speaking about the days of Moses and saying that he, the Lord put his Holy Spirit within them. And he's referencing in the Old Testament. Also, Daniel, I would encourage you to look at, in Daniel um, chapter 4, verse 8. Um, verse 9, verse 18, and 5, 11. All of these times, for those of you that know Daniel, if you talk about the spirit of prophecy upon a man, he was able to interpret dreams and visions. He truly, if you read Daniel, he was even prophesying of the end times of the end times, meaning like generation of the Lord's return. Talk about having foresight into the future. It wasn't just his own generation. He was prophesying into visions of the return of Christ upon the earth. But oftentimes when you're reading um, the book of Daniel, it references the spirit of the holy gods. The spirit of the holy gods, and obviously they were plural at that time because they didn't understand that there was one God, but they would reference the spirit of the holy gods. And ultimately in the New Testament, we call it the Holy Spirit, but they were identifying that he had the unction and he had um, the anointing and the favor of the spirit of the holy gods. And then you see, actually, in, in the New Testament as well, and this is kind of what I want to, where I want us to really begin, what we're going to be looking at, is you see the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, basically, the authority of that day, the, the religious authority in that day and in that time, that the Messiah was in their midst. Jesus the Messiah, the written word that they had been studying, was made flesh in front of them. And they could not discern the Messiah. And actually, it's extraordinary. Um, and in Matthew 16, 3, Jesus called them hypocrites because they could not discern the signs of the times. He basically said, you can look to the sky, you can see the stars, you can even predict what the weather's going to be the next day and say that the sky is red, we'll have warm weather. He said, but yet you cannot discern times and seasons. And he called them hypocrites because they could not discern. But if you look at really the mark of the Pharisees, it's this understanding they could not discern the Messiah in their midst. They could not even, I mean, if you think about it this way, if you spend that much time studying the word, dissecting the word, becoming a true authority of the word, but yet the one that you've been studying and all the prophecies that you've been studying, they're made flesh in front of you and you miss it completely. I mean, that right there, I know I'm going to say for me, and I think for all of us, it should be a tremendous um, sobering point that we can be people that can study the word. And, and if we get to the place where we're so focused even on the, the text or the language of it, but we miss the spirit behind it of fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit through the word. That when we read the word of God, it's not just studying page after page or even principle after principle, but finding the life of the Holy Spirit in the word. That's the challenge to us. But I actually want to um, really quickly. In the Old Testament, I just want to give to you guys, I love Hebrew and Greek for this reason, is that I feel like in our American language, we're so limited you know, we have one word for love. I love my dog, I love my hot dog, and I love my husband. Mm. 
like, okay, those are all completely different loves, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot more, but when you study the Hebrew and the Greek, the word for love is completely different in relationship to the context of love. And so I think sometimes when we don't take the time to look back at it, we actually fully, we miss fully the understanding of what the Lord's trying to convey. Um, But in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit is referenced, the word means, the word holy means apartness, sacredness, separatedness, a thing that is wholly consecrated to God. It often is referencing a sanctuary that is used as a holy tabernacle, specified as a body, meaning the body of believers when it's specified. So if you apply that, when, when we're referenced as a body, our physical tabernacle, that it's to be a sanctuary completely set apart and consecrated to God. It's sanctified, it's prepared for God, it's dedicated to God. It's to be holy, sanctified, and separated completely. Um, Also, the word holy, it it is to be honored or to be treated as something sacred. It is to be observed as holy, kept sacred. I mean, that's the basic crux of it. But the word spirit, when we reference, when the word spirit is used, it's it's God's spirit. It is the spirit of God. It is the third person of the triune God. Um, So basically, even in the Old Testament, and so that we can understand that basically when the word holy is used, it's used to define his character and his nature. It's used to define who he is in essence. So we can use the word spirit, like oftentimes throughout the word you'll hear the spirit of God, um, the indwelling Christ. All of those things are actually referencing the Holy Spirit. But when it's used the word Holy Spirit, it's identifying his character and his nature and his likeness. I absolutely love this. When you study the Hebrew, when you're talking about the spirit of God, it's actually referenced that the spirit of God is like wind or like breath. This is how they understood the Holy Spirit like breath. And this is why you have to understand that they equate it to breath, because number one, you cannot see breath, but it's the essence of life. Like, you cannot identify the properties of your breath. I mean, you're breathing. How do we know you're breathing? There's the effects of it are bringing life to your body. It is the same exact thing about the Holy Spirit, and that's why it becomes, I mean, breath and even wind are mysterious things, if you think about it. You see the evidence of the wind blowing the trees, but which way does it come? I mean, it's the mystery of wind and breath. There is a a complete and utter mystery to the Holy Spirit, but what is undeniable is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at in the New Testament, is the fruit and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's what I want us even to use as a measuring line in our lives, is the manifestation of the Spirit of God. And really, this is what I'm hungry for. I am hungry that whether it's my personal life, my marriage, my family, our ministry, in every area, that I could identify that there's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so what does that look like? I want to also say for those of you, number one, Speaking in tongues is not like all inclusive. Okay, I speak in tongues, so therefore I have the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't even remember how old I was. I remember being in first grade. I used to witness to the kids on the playground, tell them about Jesus, and I would say, You want to hear me speak in tongues? 
and I would speak in tongues, and I would say, I know how to get you saved, but I don't know how to get you filled with the Holy Spirit. Come back, and I'll have my mom pray for you. <laughs> so, I mean, and honestly, my mom would always say to me, she'd say, how old were you, do you think, when you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, I have no idea. I just felt feel like it was almost like always there. I know that's odd to say. Um, but I will say this, like the height of my rebellion, for those of you that know my testimony, I didn't really have one. I mean, I wore a mini skirt, you know, and I think I smoked a cigarette one time. Just, <laughs> But I mean, my heart really did not wander far from the lawn, the Lord, but at the height of it was like sixth, seventh grade. <laughs> that was my real hardcore season. Um, but in that season, I will say this, although I did not act out, in a way that people could identify as not walking with the Lord, only we know the condition of our heart. And I can honestly say I was an angry, bitter, miserable young girl. And I was filled with fear. I can honestly say if the Holy Spirit did not deliver me, I would definitely be in a psych ward. I mean, I definitely have like an OCD like tendency. <laughs> you guys all know that. <laughs> but I'm talking fear that was so controlling, so um, life controlling in every situation of my life where I would be covered in hives. I would just complete and utter panic. Um, but in that season of my life, even though I really was not walking with the Lord, I can honestly say I was not honoring him with my heart. I, I was far from him, regardless of any other circumstance. I can remember every once in a while saying, I'm not really walking with God. I wonder if I can still speak in tongues. <laughs> and I can remember actually trying to speak in tongues just to make sure I still could. And obviously, I mean, most of you, if you've gone through a season of rebellion, you know that that gift is not taken from you. I can still speak in tongues. So I say all that to say that it is one of the evidences, and it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, but it does not mean that we are people that are controlled by the Holy Spirit, that we are operating under the Holy Spirit. Um, I can remember in my teenage years kind of going through a real crisis of understanding my faith, and I came to the conclusion that I would rather see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in people's lives than necessarily the gifts of the Holy Spirit with mm -hmm. no fruit. And it's kind of because I, I was kind of wrestling seeing it all. I saw people that were very... Um, Evangelical did not believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but I saw a tremendous fruit of love and patience and kindness and true generosity. And But then I saw people that could operate in gifts, but there was like no fruit of the Holy Spirit in their home. <laughs> you know, it was just utter chaos and disturbance. And, and I remember at that season of my life, um, but I will say where I am at now is I never want to divorce the two. I am zealous to see the gifts of God in operation, but not apart from the fruit of the Spirit. Um, simultaneously. But so anyway, in the Hebrew, the word spirit, it's associated with wind and breath. And if you think about that even in your own life, that the, the Holy Spirit, that the evidence of it, that sometimes it's not like, obviously, you know, you don't see him walk into the room, you don't necessarily, but I can honestly tell you, if there's a lack of peace in our home, if there's, if I feel as though there's room for contention or strife, I can say in a moment, like in a moment, and thank God I have such an amazing husband, it's almost like put the brakes on completely here. Let's just identify something. Are we operating in peace? And I mean, it's that quickly when you just basically say, I refuse to operate in unrest or strife or confusion. I refuse. We want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
and it is amazing just the recognition of the either the lack of his presence or even it's not even the lack of his presence it's our lack of submitting ourselves to his authority and to his leadership it's really that simple um, but then in the New Testament I mean there's most of you probably know there are multiple 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 references to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament um, we begin uh, Luke Luke 1 well, I'm sorry, Luke 4, 1, John 1, 33, John 7, 39. Um, this is where we actually see Jesus being baptized. And it says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. <laughs> and then we go on to see in Acts 2, 4, all of you, is everybody familiar with the book of Acts? Um, that basically they're in an upper room. We've taught on it extensively over the past few weeks. They're in an upper room. They're having a prayer meeting. And there comes a mighty rushing wind through the room. And it says that tongues of fire rested upon their heads, and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit in one moment. And then there was a great outpouring. Um, but really what I want to focus on is Matthew 3.11. This is actually John the Baptist speaking. And when John the Baptist was speaking, he was speaking, referencing Jesus, and he said, I baptize with water, but, um, and, and those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that is not worthy, I'm not worthy even to be his slave or to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the understanding of the Holy Spirit in this context, hold on one second. I actually just want to pull up very quickly for you. When he references the Holy Spirit here, um, the, whole, the holy, the emphasis upon that word is a most holy thing that is to be reverenced it is incomparable majesty, a place that is sacred to God and that is not to be profaned. It is completely set apart. It is sinless. It is pure from carnality. It is chaste, modest, pure from fault, pure from guilt. It is immaculate and clean. And again, in this reference, the spirit is referenced to the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit. Um, what I also want to, if how many of you guys, whenever you've read the word, have you actually read where it says the spirit of truth? It's also referencing the Holy Spirit, and the emphasis at that point is upon the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. But this is what I want to say. When we reference the Holy Spirit, this is a very good way, and this is what I feel like, um, even in my own life, where there's a sense of conviction. When we say the Holy Spirit, because that is how he's identified in his nature and character, a good distinguishing factor when we say, okay, is there, a, is there the activity of the Holy Spirit in my home, in my family? A good way to distinguish that is the degree that we feel as though holiness is being worked in our lives. Because if he is the Holy Spirit, wherever he is produces holiness. Now hear me, I'm not saying instantaneously overnight somehow we come out with garments that are gleaming white. But it's the work of holiness in our life. It is the awareness of areas where he convicts us. It, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us. Because he is holy, and when he enters a place, when he enters a being, when he enters a spirit that is not, it's, it is his job. And this is why I love where John the Baptist says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He didn't even say in water, because the properties of fire are to purify. Even right here, when you study actually the Greek word for fire, it's, just, I'm sorry, yeah, with the Holy Spirit and fire, it's associated with being purified. 
And for each one of us, a good place to say is, God, I desire the Holy Spirit and fire. There should be a place where our time, our possessions, our finances, our language, our vocabulary, our meditations, our attitudes, every area of our life, that is the understanding of the fire of the Holy Spirit, that he's invasive. That is the understanding, even when I read to you, that's why I read to you the Hebrew and the Greek of the word holy, is so that we have a clear image of what holy is. It is completely sacred. It is, it is in no way being profaned. It is consecrated. And hear me, I, I am in no way preaching a message that is as if somehow it's something that we work out in our flesh. This is why we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And this is the understanding. The more that we walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the more holiness is worked in our lives. The more we live in communion with the Holy Spirit, the more truth is worked in our lives. It does not happen apart from the Holy Spirit. It does not ha even happen by coming and sitting in a prayer meeting once a day or even once a week. It doesn't come by attending a church. It doesn't, honestly, I'm sorry to say this, it doesn't even come by an accountability partner. I believe in all of those things. I'm in a house of prayer, I'm in church, I have accountability. It all works in partnership with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the only one that can bring us to a place of producing holiness and truth in our lives. It's in that place of fellowship and partnership with him. It's in the place of learning to live in continual communion with him. And see, that's the thing that I actually feel as though in our Western church culture and mindset, because um, it, I, I'm, I'm from the West, I'm, I'm American, I'm in no way coming against our culture, but because our understanding has, of church has been so limited to a Sunday morning context, and, our, and just for those of you that haven't been here, we've actually gone through Book of Acts, how they broke bread together daily, they prayed together daily, they preached the gospel daily. We actually went through the numbers of 3,000, 5,000. It said that souls were added daily. The work of the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom, a lifestyle of worship and prayer and the preaching. Yes, they had jobs. None of them were full-time intercessory missionaries. Yes, we had their apostles and prophets and those. But they worked. They broke bread. They prayed. They preached. They evangelized because there was no separating. And in that season, in that time, there was no understanding of we do church on Sunday and then the rest of the week we go about our business. And then we do church on Sunday and we hope we get a message that will provoke us and inspire us and then we go about our business. It's the understanding that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we live in con continual communion and fellowship. We live in continual even conversation. That's what I want us to actually to look at through the passages of scripture that we look at today is that the only way for us to come to the place of remaining in the Holy Spirit and operating in the Holy Spirit is to continual, continually dialogue with the Holy Spirit. I know I've had a lot of people just say to me, like, because it's true. You read the word and it says abide in Christ. Okay, I'm abide in Christ. I, go to go, I have to go to work seven to three. I, you know, all of the dynamics, you know, for those of you that care for children, you know, that can be really difficult to abide in Christ when they're testing your patience and you're sleep deprived. And you're, I mean, every dynamic of life, it really tests you. But this is what I want to say. The promise of the word, there's an incredible promise that's given here, and so I want to read it to you. Actually, why don't you turn with me to Galatians 5, 16. There's a promise that's given here. So we're talking about walking in the spirit, right? 
we're talking about a place of continual fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But we have to understand that the Lord does not ever give us a, a charge or a commissioning or a command without a promise. And in this passage of scripture, Galatians 5, 16 is one of the great promises. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. That word lust means wars. So just substitute it there. For the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And then if you jump down and if you are led um, to verse 18, and if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Um, what I want to emphasize here is in, in verse 16, he, this is the command is to walk in the spirit. But he gives us the very keys ways of how we are to walk in the spirit. He doesn't just leave us telling us to do it. He gives us instruction in verse 18. It says, if you are led by the spirit, and then in verse 25, um, most of you are familiar with this passage because it's, it goes through the fruit of the Spirit. It says, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not, not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Um, but I, what I want you to understand here is that when Paul is identifying the flesh, he is talking about physical pleasures. He's, when he says flesh, he's identifying you know, the sins of sensuality, gluttony, all of those things. But what we have to also understand is if you study out the flesh, it's also sinful emotions. So sometimes it's very easy for us to kind of point at the big, bad, ugly things and be like, oh, he's talking about the flesh. I don't operate in the flesh because I am not participating in any of those things. But he's also identifying sinful emotions. And when I say sinful emotions, how many of you guys know emotions that are not governed by the Holy Spirit are toxic? Toxic. I mean, you talk about anger. You talk about pride. You talk about envy. You talk even about fear. I mean, those are all things that are emotions that become toxic. So what he's basically addressing here is sinful emotions as well. Um, but what's also important in verse 17 is where he says that um, for the flesh wars against the spirit. What I want you guys to clearly understand is, number one, it, it is a place that the flesh wars against the spirit in the sense of you, we don't just all of a sudden wake up in the morning and we're all walking in the spirit. <laughs> I mean, I would love it if it were that natural. And that I will say this. I believe that the more that you practice certain d disciplines of disciplining your heart and even your time, I believe it almost um, becomes more natural, but I don't believe it's ever instantaneous in the sense that, um, and this is why he gives this promise. He says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He says you won't fulfill. He never says you will not be tempted and that desire will not be there. He says you will not fulfill. And what that saying is, is that as you walk in the spirit, he gives you the grace and the strength to resist so that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, I think sometimes as believers, I know lots of times when I'm counseling young adults that are wrestling in areas of sensuality or lust, any of, any of those things, oftentimes when there is a struggle in our life, sometimes it's almost like we're already defeated because we think it's so abnormal. We somehow think that everything should be easy. I mean, I think 99% of it is our mindset. If we have the mindset of, Today is going to be difficult. <laughs> Maybe nothing will go easily. Nothing will go my way. If you kind of, kind of where Paul says, gird up the loins of your mind. 
instead of thinking of, I'm just going to wake up in, in the morning and I'm going to be walking in the Spirit, thinking in the Spirit, my emotions are all going to be in line with the Spirit, everything I say is going to be by the Spirit, and everything I do is just going to turn to gold. I honestly think if there's a preparation in our minds and our hearts, um, I, there's some days, I mean, you know how it goes, I mean, even very practical things like you lock your keys in your car and you know, your son has an accident in the middle of a store. I mean, just all of those kind of, I have some days where I literally just chuckle and instead of responding, I go, everything's hard. Just everything. <coughs> everything's hard. But it's almost like, and hear me, I'm not saying that's the way that I want it to be, but I think a lot of Christian, with Christianity, and even where the place of defeat comes for a lot of people, is there's the mindset of somehow that it's all just going to be easy. That almost like you think that when temptation comes, or when you're wrestling against sin, that there's something wrong with you, that somehow it shouldn't be this difficult, and it almost starts you at a point already of defeat. Because instead of being in a point of strength, of saying, okay, this is par for the course, Paul says that the flesh wars against the spirit. This is normal Christianity 101. It's the way it's supposed to be, meaning that's the way that it functions and operates, and it's really me coming into a place of coming into alignment and clarity with the word of God. Then he goes further down and he says, but if you are led by the spirit, by the spirit you are not under the law. Um, so the promise, and this is what I want us to cling to here, is that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the key is walking in the spirit. I can guarantee that there is a good number of people here in the room tonight that whether it's um, of toxic emotions, and we talked about how sinful emotions that Paul is addressing, both of those, that there's areas of even discouragement or depression, that there's areas of anger and bitterness, that there's areas um, even of perversion that you opened the door in areas to pornography or unclean things, that the question becomes, like you begin to wonder, when am I almost going to be free from this? Or when is this almost season in my life? There's some of you that, where he talks about pride, there is such a focus on self. How many of you know, like when we're focused on self, that is utter bondage. It's almost like we cannot move and operate freely because we're so focused on ourselves. It, it, it's, a, it's an imprisonment that comes to us. Um, but I love, absolutely love, where it says in Romans 7.23, it says, I see another law in my members warring against the, the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is Paul saying this, declaring, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But then we go on. If you look closely at Romans 8, the answer is walk in the spirit. Live in the spirit. The answer, I, I would almost venture to say, and I know that this sounds very elementary, that the answer to every situation in, in your life is the Holy Spirit. And I fully understand that sometimes there's complicated situations. I understand that some people have enormous debt. And I understand all of the situations that get very complex. But when I say the Holy Spirit is the answer, it's because from the place of communing, abiding, fellowship in the Holy Spirit, that then clarity can come to you. 
that instead of operating out of fear or panic, instead of operating under um, even fear of the future, instead of operating under things that are not being governed by the Holy Spirit, that that place where more of the Holy Spirit in your life actually produces the fruit of the Spirit. I actually want to... um, so verse 17 where we left off, for the, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Goes on to say, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you in past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm just pausing there. <laughs> Part of my... my <laughs> Part of my inspiration to even preach on the Holy Spirit in discerning times and seasons is there are many, many doctrines that are now coming out through books and um, even preaching on Christian messages where ultimately the clarity and the simplicity of the word is being challenged. And there's other doctrines. And I am so zealous. I firmly, firmly believe that from fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit in the last days, it can guard our hearts from deception and even the, the, the teaching of false doctrines. Um, but I mean, even this right here where Paul says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right now, there's major voices that are challenging, ultimately, the kingdom of God versus hell and eternity and what the fruit of that is. But I just challenge you, if you're questioning any of the issues of eternity and heaven and hell, maybe meditate on that passage a little. Um, but verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. But basically, I guess you could say the, the action verbs um, that I wanted to emphasize there where he calls us in verse 16 to walk in the spirit um, which requires in order to walk in the spirit it requires that we're led by the spirit and that we live in or by the spirit Um, and he's emphasizing basically first being led and then living by the spirit and I guess you know for me this is such an elementary passage of scripture Galatians um, 522, the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know how many of you were raised in the church even singing, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of the fundamentals of the faith. And as much as it's fundamental, I oftentimes think that the very, the most elementary things of our faith that we neglect. I mean, as you're going about your day, most of you, many of you are studying, um, and some of you are in very intense programs. Some of you are professionals working here in this area. But I would challenge you that in the area of our life and even in the busyness of um, the corporate world or the campus world, when we use this basically as, um, I guess I would say like the litmus mark that we measure our lives is 
through the place of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That the decisions that we make, that even the attitudes that we carry, like that's why it's so important where Paul, um, when I referenced earlier, that he was talking about the flesh, that it's, it's the place even of emotion, of what kind of emotion that we're carrying that he's addressing, not necessarily just the outward acts of sin that we commit, but the inward meditations of our heart, the inward contemplations of our, of our mind, of what we dwell upon. Um, so what I just really want to close out here with emphasizing is the place of fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, that where Paul says, O wretched man that I am, and who will deliver me from this body of death, that our only deliverance comes by encountering Jesus and by fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. And what I really want to, I guess, emphasize is that it comes through the place of a daily encounter, of a continual conversation, of sustaining that place of conversation with the Lord. It's very, very easy for us, maybe from week to week, to almost um, lean upon or even put confidence in yesterday's experience or yesterday's encounter with the Lord. It's very easy, uh, and I say that even for myself, I had so many years of studying the Word um, in my single years. It would be very easy almost to live from either revelation or understanding that I received at a point in time without recognizing that there's something the Holy Spirit wants to speak to me today. There's something the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life today. That there's even something, it's kind of like, and honestly, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they clung to the word. And even if we look at it, like I referenced earlier, the days of Jeremiah, that they were clinging to a biblical principle. It's very easy, even in ourselves, that if we're not living with that daily encounter, that daily experience, that daily of continual conversation. How many of you guys have ever read the book um, Practicing the Presence of God? It is such a good book and basically what he emphasizes over and over again is the place of continual conversation with the Lord. Of just inviting him in. And I actually just want to read this quote to you. Um, "We We will not walk in the Spirit more than we talk to the Spirit. He will help us to the degree that we talk to him. We will not obey him more than we talk to him. I mean, that sounds so simple, I understand. But if we're looking for a life of obedience, if we're looking for a life of walking in the spirit, as Paul exhorts us over and over again, that the emphasis is upon, we're not going to obey him any more than we're talking to him. And it's that simple place, you guys might come, I mean, all of us come to seasons in our life where there's either despair or discouragement that you think about giving up. That is the place when we simply open conversation with the Lord of just sharing our heart, that you're inviting him to speak back. (laughs) It's that place of simply, I know for me, I mean, I can be utterly overwhelmed. I mean, I understand I only have one. Noah has three. (laughs) I can't even imagine people that are multitasking, multiple children. But I pretty much, for those of you that don't know, I'm fiercely committed to raising my son, so we actually don't have any other child care outside of my husband and I. But I pretty much need to fulfill about 15 to 20 hours a week for what JHOP requires, administrative-wise and things like that, and meetings because we're part of a national organization. So I pretty much do it all in and around my son. (laughs) So he comes first, all that comes second, but yet, 
at the end of the day, I have to relate and um, fulfill responsibilities for our national organization. So with that said, I can honestly say that I do, I love what I do. I love love. Even if I had an option not to do this or do something else, this would be my choice. I feel as though, and Daryl and I agree with this, that we feel as though we're doing what we were created for. We believe it will come to greater maturity and strength um, and grow, but we do feel as though we're doing what we're created for. But with that said, I definitely have days where I'm utterly overwhelmed of looking at my list of things to do, knowing that I'm gonna completely fail probably 15 people in the course of the day, because I'm not gonna be able to get back or have the phone call, or <laughs> it's, it's my day all the time. But with that, I can honestly say to you, if I went down that path, of living overwhelmed, if I went down that path of even allowing that emotion of even failure, I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but I'm sure some of you, and maybe all of you, in areas of your life are faced with failure, of going, I can't meet it all, I can't do it all, something's always suffering, something's always lacking, I don't have enough hours in the day, I mean, all of the list of things, but if I remained in that place, I can honestly tell you, I'd probably give up. It would take a toll on my marriage hugely. I mean, all of, I, would, I would be robbed of my joy. But I can honestly tell you in my most overwhelmed states, and I mean, that goes right down to, you know, our, this, this physical house, we pay 4,500 a month. So when you look at a budget for a growing ministry of finances and all of that, but if I put my eyes upon any of those things or even remain there, but I can honestly tell you, this is why I said to you earlier, I understand there's complexities to life. But when I say the Holy Spirit is the answer to every one of your problems, I say that because no matter what crisis I'm in, no matter what the confusion, what the delay, what the accusation, no matter what may be swirling around me, I can honestly say that in those moments, if I quiet my heart and just simply say, Holy Spirit, I need you, and I'm choosing to fellowship with you in the midst of this circumstance, I can honestly tell you the clarity the peace, and even the strength. It's amazing how you can be in the most challenging of circumstances. But when you are fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, the amount of strength and grace, all of a sudden, it's as if, what was I so stressed about? Like, obviously, if you get back out, like, into your flesh, you can have, like, a total heart attack, panic attack. <laughs> but if you remain in that place, it's amazing. It's kind of like, you know, I'll say to my husband, just that place of prayer, it's unbelievable how it sets all of life into order. Maybe none of your circumstances have changed. Maybe absolutely nothing has changed. But you know what has changed? Is that in your innermost being, you are fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit and that your emotions are being governed by the Spirit of God. And that changes everything. And I will tell, I'll guarantee you that that will even change your circumstances. That circumstances will change. I, can, I, I pledge to you, for those of you students that almost have... Um, an endless list of things to do and it's almost like you can't meet it all and I know even there's some of you that have made a tremendous commitment to prayer um, I can honestly say that the times where I look at my stacks of laundry, my list of emails the things that I haven't done, where I've just said I have not spent any time with the Lord today and I don't say that in a sense of I want to sit, up, sit back and eat bonbons and just chill and veg and be a lazy person, I say it in the sense of and I need to for my sanity. <laughs> I need to catch a moment where I'm, I'm looking into the face of Jesus. I'm hearing his voice. And he's setting my life in order. 
And I can, I guarantee you those days where I even choose that above the craziness or above all of the demands that would seek to keep driving me into busyness and almost a cycle where I can't quiet myself before the Lord, I guarantee you that those days I stand at the end of the day utterly, completely amazed and shocked at what has been accomplished. Of kind of going, for some reason, all of that came into order and into alignment. It all worked itself out. And the accomplishment of that day is so extraordinary. But there's twofold. It's number one, it's taking the time to sit before the Lord, taking the time to wait upon him, to hear his voice. But it's like we also talked about. It's that place of continual conversation. It's that place which, and hear me, I'm not saying one or the other. Because if you live in continual conversation, but you're never taking those moments that are quiet before him just to open the word, um, you can get completely drained very quickly. (laughs) But it's the place of cultivating both of them together, of the place of continual fellowship. Um, I just want to read this to you one more time because I do think that it's the quote that I read earlier. We will not walk in the spirit more than we talk to the spirit. He will help us to the degree that we talk to him. We will, not obey him. we will not obey him more than we talk to him. The moments that we dialogue with him are the moments in which we are most aware of his power in our inner man. Um, so there's basically two things when we look at Galatians 5 and when we look at the fruit of the Spirit. Um, there's basically, for those of you that are here, you know, we pray pretty much every day of the week. There's prayer happening here. And one of the things that we're praying for is we're praying for revival. We're praying for this generation. We're praying for the Northeast. We're praying for college campuses. But one of the things that I'm struck with is you can kind of come together to a corporate body like this, and you can be praying for revival in like the inbreak of the Holy Spirit for a generation or for a campus. Or, you know, we pray for the Church of America. But the, the focus needs to be continually that we are praying for those external things but with the understanding of we need the inbreak of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. I was sitting actually um, at IHOP, I was out there for a three week season a while back, and while I was sitting there, I was actually weeping. I mean, I was having like a real tender moment before the Lord, and I'm weeping, and I'm actually, I was praying for the nations of the earth, and like, just short story here, I mean, the essence of what we're doing here at Jayhawk is with the vision that New England was intended to bring light and glory to the nations of the earth. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there completely in intercession over Boston, over seeing a student volunteer missions movement that Boston would fulfill its destiny of a stepping stone for the gospel to the nations. I mean, this is me pouring out my heart before the Lord. And as I'm like almost, and I'll be honest with you, my question to the Lord was almost kind of like, how are you going to do that, God? How are you going to do that? Like, it's a big vision. Like, we really want to see the fulfillment of your dreams for Boston. And as I uttered the words, I said, I'm jealous for the glory of your name in the earth. That's kind of like my consistent prayer before the Lord. And I, as I uttered it so clearly, I said, I am jealous for the glory of your name in the earth, O God. He so clearly spoke back to me. He said, Bethany, I'm jealous for the glory of my, of my name in your life. He like so turned it back on me. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't feel like he was taking the emphasis off the nations of the earth and that he wants to see the gospel preached to every tribe and every tongue. I think what he was more speaking of is that is the answer for the, the glory of his name in the nations of the earth. It's individual lives like Abe. It's individual lives like Jen and like Crystal 
that come to a place that he's jealous for the glory of his name in your life. That means in your emotions. That means in your thoughts. That means in your family relationships. That means in how you prioritize your time. That means in your finances. He's jealous for the glory of his name. And when he receives the glory of his name in your life, he will receive the glory of his name because through your life, his glory will be made manifest. Through your life, his name will be made great as a byproduct of that. And that's why I feel like this, this theme of the Holy Spirit is utterly necessary for us as individuals. For any of you that have been around J-Hop very long, I, I think we actually don't em- emphasize too much like as far as individual ministry, which is okay, whatever. I'm not saying we're going to change our whole strategy approach. But I, I'm, I'm, as I've been studying the Holy Spirit, my, my conviction is, is what we are praying for on the campuses of the Northeast, Harvard, MIT, is that as there are individuals that become possessed by the Holy Spirit of God, lives that are completely surrendered, that means your time is his, your schedule is his, that place that we are going to see the answers to our prayer, that we will see the inbreak of the kingdom as a byproduct of individual lives, as John the Baptist said, he, the way that he declared it, he said, I come baptizing with water, but there is one coming that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I can honestly say to you that when Daryl and I pray together, I think the most consistent prayer in our married life is how we need the Holy Spirit and fire. I feel like there's been degrees and measures that I have experienced the fire of the Holy Spirit. But how many of you were here the week that I talked about covenantal community? And I actually went through... Um, the out of um, England, the group that was formed, the Holy Club, and I went through basically those men at the end of every day, the questions that they would ask themselves, and I even shared how most people in American culture would think that is very legalistic to say, did I honor God with my free time? Uh, like the, the, I read there was 25, for those of you that weren't here, 25 questions they would ask themselves. But you know what I feel like is that those kind of questions are not legalistic. I feel like those are men that earnestly desire the Holy Spirit to take possession of every area of their life. <coughs> and that those men, because they earnestly desired the Holy Spirit to take possession, what happened through their lives? I mean, we, we actually went through the study of the revivals that were spurned out of those men's lives because they longed for the Holy Spirit to take possession. And what I really want to emphasize tonight is, like Galatians 5, I encourage you to look at it, to study it, to even more in-depth engross your life and even study in what it is to walk in the Spirit, to be governed by the Spirit, to live in continual fellowship and conversation. I know that this is the challenge to my heart as of recently, is immersing myself in that place of saying, am I operating apart from the Holy Spirit in any area of my life? I mean, that's a question to ask ourselves at the end of the day. Yeah, there's lots of places I operated apart from the Holy Spirit. But this is what I want us to do. Our response to this word, and don't feel any kind of pressure, but as we've been talking about this place of being governed by the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit, and I want to specify um, where we focused on Matthew, where John the Baptist said, that there is one coming that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. If you feel that angst in your own heart of saying, I desperately need more of the Holy Spirit and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And and where I say this to you is you may not have had that language or even felt that prior to coming in here, but I, I address it to you this way. If there are besetting sins in your life that you've questioned what is the answer, 
That is the answer. It's more of the Holy Spirit, and it's even a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire because he comes to cleanse and to purge. Yeah. And like I had shared, the Holy Spirit, where he is, he produces holiness. It doesn't have to come by you striving and working harder and doing the litany of all of the, all the jumps, jumping through hoops and all of those things. It comes by living in fellowship and communion with the Holy Spirit that he will produce holiness in your life that he will bring about truth in areas of your life. And so for anybody that feels specifically like that's the cry of your heart, or even that's the answer to what you've been seeking, I just want us to stand up um, for anyone that kind of feels that nudge upon their hearts. And I want us to respond in prayer together. God, we come before you as people and... God, our confession is, Lord, that there's many areas in our life, Lord, that we have lived and operated even apart from the Holy Spirit. God, we confess to you that there are uh, many conversations that we've had, Lord, that, Lord, our tongue has not been governed and guided by the Holy Spirit. God, we confess to you, Father, that even the priorities of our time, God, that there's many places where we spend time Lord, that it's not completely yielded and governed by the Holy Spirit. But God, we say tonight, Father, Lord, we hear your word that you are jealous for the glory of your name in our life, O God. So Lord, we respond, God, and we say, Lord, we long for the Holy Spirit and fire. God, we ask, Lord, upon us as individual lives and, Lord, as a company, Lord, would you baptize us afresh and anew. Lord, we say that we cannot bring about holiness in and of ourselves. Lord, we say that we cannot produce the fruit of the kingdom, even the fruit of the Spirit, apart from the place of fellowship with you. So, God, we ask, Lord, even now, Lord, as we yield our lives, Lord, would you baptize our hearts afresh and anew? Lord, we ask, Lord, would you come with Holy Spirit fire, Lord, an all-consuming fire. Lord, would you come and overtake every chamber of our heart that has not been yielded to you? Lord, would you overtake every chamber of our life that has not been surrendered to your Lordship and your authority? God, we say that we want all that we are to be yielded and surrendered. God, we want all that we are to be under your lordship, that you would govern and rule, that you'd establish your kingdom in our life, oh God. God, I ask, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, even just the simple discipline of throughout the day, Lord, of remaining in conversation with you. Lord, just the simplicity of even asking you your opinion in your heart on the matter. Lord, we say, God, break into, Lord, our own ideas. Lord, break into our own desires. God, we say that we do not want to live independent of your spirit. But God, we want to live, Lord, utterly surrendered and abandoned to you. So come and take possession of our lives. Holy Spirit and fire.
anybody here that actually just wants personal prayer and agreement and somebody to agree with you and pray with you, um, I just would invite you to come forward and one of us will pray for you before you leave here tonight. But we're just going to close out with a time of worship. So God, we thank you for those that have gathered here in this place. And God, even as we close out and worship, God, we say that we want to live a life of continual worship before you.